Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. diversion today or a detour from our first John um, series. Anybody know what Sunday is in the Christian calendar? Pentecost Sunday is coming up this Sunday. And since we don't meet on Sunday, we're going to do Pentecost Friday. Is that okay? Now, we're in an international church in an international setting, and we have people from the extremes on either end of the Christian spectrum. So we have some folks that believe in speaking in tongues, some that don't. Some that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, some that don't. And that's okay. Because what unites us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes us family. And that's what makes us have the ability to come together from different nationalities, different church backgrounds, and worship together as a family. But Pentecost happened. It was the birth of the church. And so I just want to give you, uh, go through the book of Acts chapter 2, 47 verses. I won't hit every one of them and get into detail, but I just want to give you an overview of Pentecost and what it means for us today as the local church. So on Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. So turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, and we will go through Acts chapter 2. Now, everything in Acts chapter 1 is preparatory to the great outburst of the Spirit of God who was poured out upon a band of praying believers in the upper room believing that Jesus would fulfill the promise that He made just before He ascended, Go and wait, and I will send you the Spirit." They had listened to the teachings of the Lord for 40 days. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. They had received His commission and His promise that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power to be a witness. And as I said, we're from a large spectrum of the Christian church here. Um, I have had people tell me that if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be a Christian. That's not Bible. I've had people tell me if you do speak in tongues, 
you're of the devil. That's not Bible. Okay? So that's a personal choice between you and God. But it happened on the day of Pentecost. And it, chapter 2 deals with the miraculous events of Pentecost. And it falls into three parts, and that's what we're going to look at today. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, relates to the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. Verses 14 to 41 summarizes Peter's Pentecost sermon where 3,000 people were saved. And then 42 to 47 shows that what happened to this group of new believers when they received the Holy Spirit. So let's look first at the miraculous manifestation of the Spirit, verses 1 to 13. And this is broken into two parts. The first part is the gift of the Spirit, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to these divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now Pentecost was the spring harvest festival, and it was 50 days after the Passover. And all of the Christians were gathered together praying, believing for the fulfillment of the promise of God. Anybody know approximately how many there were? 120. There were approximately 120 in the upper room, according to Scripture, and they were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. Luke describes this experience as being both audible and visible. There was the sound of the rushing wind and there were the tongues of fire. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now there's two types of tongues that are in, talked about in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it's the glossolalia, the... We don't understand the language. And then there is tongues is natural languages. And from the study I've done, I think here it was probably natural languages because it says there were Jews from all over the Roman Empire that were living in Jerusalem. And when they heard these disciples speaking in other tongues, they each understood that they were speaking in their language. So I think God miraculously gave each one of these as they were praising God. They were speaking in a known language of some of these people, and they did not know it. But they, that was part of everything that happened on Pentecost. And then there was the witness to the Spirit 5 to 13. 
So it looks like when the Holy Spirit fell on these believers in the upper room, that they went out of the upper room into the courtyard of the temple. And it's interesting, what did Jesus tell them would happen when the Spirit came upon them? They would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. And immediately when the Holy Spirit was given, and they all began to speak in these other languages, what happened? They were witnessing of the goodness and the glory of God to people from the entire known Roman Empire. So in that very first outburst of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment that you will be witnesses to the whole world took place. That encourages me. Because we have people in this room from the ends of the earth. From all over. And you come into this place and you receive the teaching of the word of God. And God wants you then to take that wherever you go. Last Friday we prayed for Robin that's heading back to Houston that he will take what he's gotten here, and he will do something with it there. And I want to encourage you, if you're leaving, and you're leaving Kuwait for good, let us know when your last Friday will be so that we can bring you up and we can pray for you. And then we send you out as a missionary from CIC to whatever part of the world you're going to, to be a witness of the things of the gospel. And that was interesting that on this very first Pentecost, these people were preaching to people from the Near East, Asia, North Africa, Rome, the islands, and even Arabia. Think about that. They were witnessing of the things of God. Now, in this crowd that heard them, there was a division. Some people marveled at what had happened, at this miraculous occurrence that took place where these people, being Galileans, were speaking in the languages of all of these nations around, and they marveled at it. Then there was a group that said, oh, no, they're just drunk. That's just the babblings of a drunkard. And from that day till this, when the gospel is preached, you have some people that accept it and get excited about it, and you have other people that reject it and say, oh, that has nothing in to do in reality. As a missionary, I've been in villages and preached the gospel and many people gave their hearts to Christ hearing the gospel for the first time. I've been in other villages and preached the gospel and was chased out with machetes and axes because they didn't want to hear the gospel. So even today, 
at your workplace, when you share the good news with people, there's going to be some that are going to accept it, and there are going to be some that are going to persecute you because of your belief and your faith. So what is the significance of Pentecost? Basically, for you and I as the church, everything. Because if it wasn't for Pentecost, we wouldn't be here. The church wouldn't have been birthed the way we know it. Now, God could have done something else. I don't know. Another significance was, as I said, the, the going forth and the witnessing of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Peter gets up and tells them, look, guys, y'all think we're drunk. We're not. This is what happened. And he goes and he starts talking about the prophecy of Joel, and that begins his sermon. And Peter's sermon is the majority of this chapter, verse 14 to 41. This is one of the first major speeches in the book of Acts, and it's built around the Old Testament text. You do realize the apostles, the disciples, and Jesus did not preach and teach or read from the New Testament. They wrote it, okay? All of their teaching and preaching was from the Old Testament. I have preached in churches that got me in trouble because I used Old Testament Scripture in my sermon. And they said, oh, we are a New Testament church. No, we are a Bible church. The Old Testament looks to Jesus. The New Testament looks back to Jesus. And everything from generations to revolutions, and even the chapter to the Filipinos all talks about Jesus. <laughs> Y'all didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? <laughs> Old country friend of mine said, man, I love that part about the job. When I need one, that's the book I go to. <laughs> in Peter's sermon, he gives some scriptural proof concerning the Pentecost experience. That's in verses 14 to 21. He begins his sermon by quoting from Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32. And it's a prophecy that spoke of God's outpouring of the Spirit on all of his people. And Joel depicted this as a sign of the last days when God would visit his people in a special way and Peter declared that Joel's prophecy was fulfilled on that day. It's interesting. Joel gave this prophecy, and it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that began the last days. Think about that. From the moment the church was birthed, we've been living in the last days. So when you hear people say, oh, we're in the last days. Yeah, we have been for about 2,000 years. 
Now, are we closer to the end than we were back then? Yes. Do any of us know when Jesus is coming back? No. When I was in Bible college, there was a book written, 84 Reasons That Jesus Is Coming Back in 1984. Then the next year, 85 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1985. And a lot of people have predicted the day that Jesus is coming, but believe me, the Bible says that Jesus doesn't even know the day that he's coming. We are just to live for him. And then in chapter 2, verses 22 to 36, Peter gives scriptural proof concerning Christ's Messiahship. See, he needed to convince this Jewish crowd that Jesus was God's promised Messiah. And I want to read these, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as ye yourselves also know. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by the lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So here Peter, the very first sermon of the new church. The whole thing, you can read it in about eight minutes. And I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor, take a hint. <laughs> Tell Pastor Dell that, not me, okay? <laughs> but he gets right to the point. He said, this is Jesus... You saw him. You saw the miracles he did. You saw the signs and the wonders that he did in your midst. But you crucified him. Peter got in their face. Said it's your fault. Well, let me get in your face today. It's my fault. your fault my sin put him on the cross I remember I used to read this and I'd go oh man those guys you know look at you know all that happened you know and all the good things that happened in their life and all of the miracles that Jesus did and they knew about it and still they rejected him and then I think back of all the good things that I saw in my life and all of the times that God delivered me out of my stupidity and things that I did that were just dumb. But yet, over and over, I kept rejecting Him. But He still loved me and He still called me to himself. 
And then Peter goes and after he quotes Joel, then he goes into Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. For I foresaw the Lord always before my face, and David is saying this. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. So David, or Peter is quoting David here, talking about the resurrection. Saying, here's this Jesus that did these miracles. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And then the last scripture he quotes is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter preaches this message. It's very short, but it cut them to the heart. Verse 37, he begins an invitation. It says, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That word cut to the heart means a deep penetration to where you can't get away from it. Have you ever read scripture or been sitting in a service and heard a sermon and it's like it just goes straight in and you know, you know hey, that was for you? That's what this was. This word that Peter preached went straight to their heart issues. And it says they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all of those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Think about it. The very first sermon of the church. Peter stands up, reads basically, quotes three scriptures tells them the truth of the gospel, and they went from a church of 120 to a church of 3,120. Think about that. You know, what would happen tomorrow if, or next Friday if we had 3,000 people added to us? I think we'd be a bit cramped. <laughs> but wouldn't that be exciting? And that's what happened. Those that gladly received were baptized, 
received the Spirit of God and were added to the church. Now let me just tell you my own thought and my theology, I guess you would say, on the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit resides within you. The moment you ask Jesus to come in and be your Savior, you are filled with the Spirit of God. Now, I also believe, being Pentecostal, that there is another experience that some people can have, what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know anything about it, come talk to me later. I'll try to explain it, but that's something that could divide the church, and so we don't preach on it openly here. It's in the Bible. We believe it. Some people don't, so... We try to um, stick with the things that we all agree on. Jesus is the Savior. We're cleansed by His blood. We're going to heaven because of the work of Calvary. Can we all agree on that? You know, we made it very simple. Our statement of faith is the Nicene Creed. Makes it very easy. I don't know of any churches that don't agree with the Nicene Creed. But Paul or Peter gives this invitation and 3,000 people come to know Jesus and the church at that point is birthed. And then the last five verses is probably the most important part of this whole chapter. Verses 45 to 47, or 42 to 47, excuse me. And this talks about the life of of this new church. So as we read through these scriptures, I want you to think about CIC and your walk with God as a believer. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So note the qualities that marked this early church. And hopefully they are marks in our fellowship. They gave their attention to the teachings of the Word of God. They were eager to learn all that they could about the Lord. I think the second or third sermon that I preached in Kuwait, someone came to me after the service and they said, Why do you use so much Scripture? 
And my question back to them, well, what am I supposed to preach if it's not Scripture? I have been in churches where the pastor opened the daily newspaper and read some article and then started talking about a social gospel. Well, there is things for taking care of society in the Word. There are places for feeding the hungry and all of those, but it has to be all based on the Word of God. And then they gave themselves to one another in fellowshipping together. One of the things I love about our church is we have the snacks out here and we fellowship beforehand. We fellowship at the end of worship when the kids are being dismissed and we fellowship again at the end. But let me encourage you, please, don't only fellowship together on Friday in this building. Get together with other members of the body of Christ throughout the week or at different times if you can. Go out to eat or meet for coffee or just hang out. Have people to your house, go to their house. Because there's something about the body of Christ fellowshipping together. That's why life groups are so important. I visited most of the life groups and that's one of the things I like about the life groups is that fellowship together. And there's something about food and fellowship brings out the best in people. Amen? And then they shared the table. They partook of communion together and they prayed together. If CIC has a shortcoming, it's in the area of prayer. We don't pray enough. If you've noticed the last few weeks, we've been trying to have a time of prayer at the end of the service, and we're tr going to try to build that in. And at the end of the service today, because it's Ramadan, I'm going to have us being to start praying for our nation here. Because during Ramadan, it is a time for them to get closer to God, and especially on the night of power. And we're believing, we can, we can agree with that prayer, that they get closer to God. So close that Jesus will appear to them, okay? And so we're going to pray for that at the end of the service. But we need to pray together. And then they were, it was witnessed by a continued power of the Spirit. And then they shared not only themselves, but their possessions. And I think we've, we have that here at CIC a lot. Um, people, you end up, you hear that somebody has a need and somebody will say, well, I know this person has something or this person has something else. Just a... An example, Gertrude, she's by herself. She needs a place to recuperate. So we said, hey, come live with us. And I know some of you have taken people in that lost their job, needed a place to stay. You say, hey, come stay with us till you get back on your feet. That's what it means to be part of the church, part of the body of Christ. And then they met regularly with fellow Christians in household fellowships. 
life groups. And they continued to worship and witness in the Jewish temple here on Friday. Now, this isn't the Jewish temple. This is the church. My wife and I, now we've been here almost three years, and we still call this Sunday. Any of you have that problem too? Yeah, because we go to church on Sunday, not on Friday, so this is Sunday for us. And uh, we, we try to get it straight, but in our mind, it's Sunday. But the Bible says it doesn't matter what day of the week that you fellowship on as long as you do it. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This was an ideal time. God blessed their faithfulness, and the church grew daily. The early church, listen to this. This, this um, quote shook me to my foundation. The early church was made up of believers who paid more attention to helping with the needs of others than they did fussing about the mistakes that people made. Think about that. Is my life characterized by helping other people or by pointing out their mistakes? William Temple, the 98th Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not members. I like that. Our purpose as the church mainly is to be a witness to those that are not part of the church. Amen? So the church exists, CIC exists primarily not for you, but the people that you can go touch. Because you come here and you are equipped to go out and to be a witness. And then Pastor Peter Vanderveer said, I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to lay down our doctrinal and our practical differences so that the church as a whole can begin to cry out as one voice for revival. On the day of Pentecost, in the upper room, they were in one accord. We need to be one in the church. The day of Pentecost, the day the church was born. And today, we are celebrating that birth of the church. By what? By meeting as the church. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still the head of the church. Jesus is still drawing people to himself. The Holy Spirit is still active, convicting people of their sin and drawing them to the cross of Calvary. And the Holy Spirit is active in each of our lives, convicting us of our sin and 
showing us doors of opportunity where we can share Jesus with those around us. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and a pastor said he worked in a factory for 10 years. And one day he was talking with a colleague, and they found out they were both believers. It took him 10 years to recognize it. We should be so full of Jesus that when we bump into somebody, the joy of the Lord sloshes out on them. There should be no question that we are different. But let me just ask you before I pray for you and then we pray for the nation of Kuwait. If someone did not know you were a believer and they observed your interaction on Sunday with your colleagues at work, especially the ones that are not believers, would they be able to tell who is who? Would they be able to tell by your speech and by the way you treat the other person that you are a believer? Because if we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, we should be different. Our lifestyle should be different. And people should be able to tell there's something about us that they don't have. And my prayer is over the next weeks and months that as you live a life of the Spirit, that people will come to you like they came to Peter and say, what must we do? Amen? What must we do? And hopefully you can tell them. Just like Peter, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, and come into the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me, please? Peter, yeah, come. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for Pentecost, the birth of the church. And Father, I ask that you would help us to just read through Acts chapter 2 again and to look at the characteristics in the last five verses of that chapter of the early church. And Heavenly Father, help us to emulate the early church, to walk in that unity one with another. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you would be with us. Lead us and guide us. Let us walk according to the power of your Spirit. And let us be a witness to those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name.